Hello and welcome. Wait a minute, you're not Aid. Aid? Aid! Hey everybody, this is Aid, and welcome to episode 15 of the Sunny 16 podcast. Oh, it's going to get horribly complicated when we get to 16. Uh, you've already heard three voices instead of just me starting the show. Uh, we have, as you might expect, uh, my co-host and partner in rambling, Graham. And back once again, uh, like a renegade master by popular demand, Dave off of the forums. Hey Dave, how you doing mate? Good thanks, Aid, and power to the people. <laughs> hey, I'm glad somebody got that reference. I was a bit worried as I went through it. <laughs> uh, you're safe. Uh, it's great to be back, Aid. Eh? Thanks for having me on. And hello, Graham. Uh, dude, it's great to have you back on here. Thank you. It's been too long. Yeah. It has. Yeah. Do you know what? It, it, it has. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing stories about street photography, stories about buying all the Minolta cameras in the Western Hemisphere. And yeah, bought them. You bought them all? Yeah, all of them. OK, well, maybe we'll come back when we do that segment. You can say a little bit more about that. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, I think Dave's also going to tell us how uh, shooting film photography is very much like making love to a beautiful woman. Or pottery, aid, pottery, pottery. Sorry, I Not, keep getting that wrong. Shooting, shooting film photography is very much like making love to pottery. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> oh, well, we'll go with that. Okay, but first of all, I think, Dave, you've got for us a, a little bit of report about the Cheap Shots Challenge, because we haven't spoken to you since we kicked that off. Yes, yeah, I've uh, I've gone ahead and won it. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Um, it was easy, though, with the best camera that £12.50 can buy. It's a, can I, can, go, go on. You want to hear more? I, I do, but before you start talking about it, was this, because when we spoke, uh, this was a two-stage thing. First off, you bought a camera, which you said was broken, and then you bought all the cameras in a big bulk lot. Which of these purchases did this amazing camera come from? Yeah, so I actually uh, bought some extra cameras in amongst that so i originally kicked off with a 7000i which wasn't broken um but the battery cover came off uh and the battery was flat in it so i thought i would hack into the battery try and um rebuild it with some cells that i had kicking around and uh, nice. get it working and in the process of doing so I took the cover off and then threw it away by mistake the next day uh, so, kind of ruined that camera. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. So I, <laughs> so I upgraded um, and bought a 700 SI, which is a later model of uh, these fantastic Minolta cameras. And that cost £12.50 and came with a, a beautiful 28-85 to 85 zoom lens with a macro function. Sounds, mm. sounds interesting. I mean, happily, since you were last on the show, uh, we kind of relaxed the rules to entry. So we've had some people coming in a little bit later on with some wackier stuff. I think we've even got some 
somebody, I forget who it is, Graham will tell me, who actually is doing this with a Lomo LCA camera, which must have cost at least a thousand dollars. That's that's Corey Cannon, that's Pinhole Cannon. I'm sure he didn't go over budget. I trust Corey. He wouldn't lie to us. <laughs> so, he might lie to us. Okay, well, it's good to have you in the challenge, Dave. Um, regardless of how many Minolta's you've bought, I guess at least you stuck to one brand. Um, so tell me, yeah, how... eleven, I think, in total. Is it? So the seven thousand I, then the seven hundred Si, and then nine on eBay for about seventeen pounds. But I'm yet to collect those. Um, Still. Yeah, I know. Like trying to get Uncle Nozzer to meet this guy at Mile End <laughs> Station is proving. A little troublesome. There is a photograph of Uncle Nozzer on my Flickr feed if you want to see this guy. And, you know, I don't know if that shows why it would be a problem or not. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's proven challenging. I think I might have to go and get them in person. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing well with my 700 SI, uh, £12.50 worth, and enough money left to buy some other treats as well. So one roll of Poundland Special. Um, a roll of Tri-X and a lovely 50mm convex lens from Amazon, which I also posted about on the forums, which no one seemed to enjoy very much, which is quite surprising. <laughs> so, so, okay, Dave, let, let's hit... You, you are talking some pretty big smack about how you, you've just come in and won this challenge. First off, yeah, why, why is this camera so good? Because I've seen pictures of it, and it, it doesn't call that in a bag of chips. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's got some. What, what do you want to play? Camera top trumps. Yeah, sure. Go on then. Camera top trumps. Sure, a, okay. You may bow out of this game pretty early in this game of camera top trumps. Okay. Well, um, so maybe I'll start, uh, and my little topic for top trumps will be shutter speed. Okay. So are you boys are rocking. How fast you go, like? Ooh, I think I think my Voigtlander Vitaret is good for about a three hundredth, although it might only be a two fiftieth. But I want to say it's a three hundredth. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Oh, sorry, I'm coming back. I the uh, to see that 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 listen, dear listeners, is the noise of somebody lifting in the background, lifting up the incredibly heavy Olympus Fugly. <laughs> 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 It is. It's a workout in itself. Um, right, hang on a second. I've got because I have to turn this damn thing on to remind myself what the uh, absolute maximum shots. Oh, you know what? I, I just realised the battery's out for something else. Never mind. Um, what did you say your top speed was on that, Dave? Haven't mentioned it yet, but hold on to your socks. It's eight thousandth of a second. Okay, I'm pretty sure that mine tops out at two thousandth of a second, so I'll, I'm going to let you have that one. Yeah, that's quite impressive, actually, even for a a, a brand new digital camera, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I think um, you know most of our listeners with the SLRs probably wouldn't be rocking those sort of speeds. Maybe they, I don't know. I'm a little out of touch with it all, but that's pretty fast. It, it is, especially for a mechanical, especially. I mean, you, I think my my Fuji now can do a twelve thousandth or something, but that's electrical Jeez. shutter only. I mean, I think on the uh, the mechanical, it tops out. I think at four thousand or something like that. Yeah, I think four thousand is quite normal for a good camera, but it's eight. Oh, my God, this thing's quick. So okay. um, You could know, take photos on the surface feature. of the sun, couldn't you? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you see, you can use a fast shutter speed, which, uh, that's great, I suppose, if you're trying to 
freeze frame a bullet train whizzing past but you know a realistic everyday practical use uh, my two thousandth of a second is more than fast enough so what else you got come on bring it oh i thought we were playing top trumps yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm trumps. just saying this, this yeah i'm just saying technically <laughs> technically you've won that one right so now you come up with a round isn't it how you play this game uh, okay, right. Because um, the problem is, I can't remember half the specs of my camera. Uh, and I they're am, all a uh, bit shit, isn't it? So go on, I'll roll off some more. How, how many built-in flashes does your camera have? One. Oh, really? Because mine's got two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how have you got two built-in flashes? By being better than you guys. I, I don't know what to say. It's got two. Look, look at the pictures. It's It's got two flashes, one on top of the other. Oh, yeah, two gosh. flashes. I take it all back. Sounds like you've bought a hell of a camera here. Yeah, I know. Thanks very much. It's a little bit overspect, actually, you could argue. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody needs two flashes. Uh, I mean, A, did you chip into this and throw your top trump in for the Vitaret? Mm. So I'm struggling a bit, yeah, on the Vitaret. I could go with uh, lowest weight, uh, smallest size, uh, most ca- most looking like a Mars bar. But I think I'm going to go with whose camera came in the best presentation case. Right, yeah. so I got mine was in bubble wrap that had already been popped. <laughs> Not even unpopped bubble wrap. Oh, okay, I think I, I think I beat that. How about you, Graham? No, I also have nothing on that front. Not not even a little bag, nothing. Ah, okay. All right, so we can all win at something. Uh, so let's call it a draw, shall we? And uh, and No, let's go yeah. ahead and say that the Minolta's won. It really is fantastic. Interchangeable lenses, built-in flash, autofocus, uh, multiple exposure. It's, it's a really good camera, this thing. It's, it's as capable as my DSLR, which... You know, it's it's an absolutely fantastic camera. I don't know why you guys, Graham in particular, you're not keen on these kind of uh, last production run SLRs before it will change to DSLR. Well, you, you say that, but um, actually, uh, whilst I was away on holiday, I did take with me, and I've still got a roll of film in um, my Canon 30E, which is same kind of vintage as your Minolta. And we did talk about it last week. You clearly weren't hanging on my every word. I don't understand what was going on there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I basically just echoed your sentiments completely because it, they're they're great. They were the cameras that the last best generation of that kind of camera uh, in terms of what they were trying to do with it. And um, yeah, the, you're absolutely right. Having the interchangeable lenses and um, just the, the the benefits of autofocus and stuff like that for particularly for street photography it's pretty great sounds good to me okay should we just carry on and pretend that you guys agreed that the 700 si is the best camera and move on to the next topic of course the the real test is in the photos now disturbingly but you know as per usual you've posted a lot of photos of janet's street porter um Mm. but also one of a rather blurry raspberry tell us about that one this is with my two pound fifty convex 50 millimeter lens that i bought from ebay another hot feature on my minolta uh, because it's an interchangeable lens camera i can ditch the lens completely and buy cheap glass off ebay and uh, and make my own lenses which is nice yeah no she's nice i have to say i quite like the the photo of the raspberry it's got a a real sort of strawberry is it a strawberry 
It's, it's definitely not Where's a strawberry. Where's the gardener? Where's, is there a gardener around this place? Yeah, if only, it, it, it does <laughs> look like a raspberry, doesn't it? I'm if only there was a there. knowledgeable professional on this podcast. Mm. It doesn't require a knowledgeable professional to be able to recognise a strawberry versus a raspberry, and that is definitely a raspberry, hey. not a strawberry. Okay, so well, I think the the leaves give it away, don't they? They're, they're clearly <laughs> strawberry leaves. <laughs> okay, I think it's the fact that it's raspberry that gave it away to me. Do you know what? With all due respect, <laughs> fellas, we're losing the thread of this conversation somewhat. So, <laughs> so interesting fate of a of a, a raspberry, um, and uh, you know, so just goes to show these minolters can take photographs as well, which is, uh, so we have, I know uh, Graham is on a, a personal quest at the moment to find a uh, an unbiased referee slash curator for, for the, the first Cheap Shots Challenge. Uh, that's proving harder than we thought it would be because actually there are not that many people who are unbiased that we know. <laughs> Most no, of the no. people we know have fairly strong opinions. Yeah, and right. if they don't agree with me, then they are not. It's not the unbiased. I don't mind them being biased as long as they're biased in the right direction. <laughs> it's <laughs> when the bias is going against me that I am not keen on it. We'll okay. find someone. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, you can't do it. You're you're part of the challenge. This is the thing. So the other problem is more and more people are joining in with the challenge, and uh, you know it's. I mean, it's a great problem to have, but. Um, yeah, even though because I have to, since I've been back, I've had very little time to jump on the forums and literally just hopped on then and seen that uh, Bill Owen has joined on and he's got a camera for the um, challenge. It's great. More and more people are getting involved. It's uh, exciting times. I'm it excited is. about Bill Owen. He's great. I think you, he's you, going to come will, up with the goods. I think he is, you, you will like Bill Owen. He's like you. He has opinions and he shares them and it's good. <laughs> it's mm. all good. He it's... knows a strawberry from a raspberry. He sounds like my kind of guy. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. I think uh, yeah. I one of my other favourite podcasts actually is uh, the science stroke philosophy panel show uh, that is uh, hosted by Robin Ince and Professor Brian Cox. Uh, oh, isn't it amazing and ever so far away and thirty million light years away and ever so big and green. I cl- clearly you've listened to it as well, and that is an uncanny impersonation of somebody. Um, <laughs> no, that is a very uh, that, yes. So uh, we are of course talking uh, about a podcast whose name I've absolutely forgotten right now. The Infinite Monkey Cage. Thank cage. you very much. The Infinite Monkey Cage. Uh, they have a, a pet topic on there that pops up uh, every now and again about uh, when is uh, a strawberry alive and when is a strawberry dead. Um, I think I'm pretty safe uh, in calling this segment Thread of the Podcast dead. Okay, I believe we have some breaking news. Breaking news! There we go. I knew you wouldn't disappoint, mate. So, uh, our breaking news is in the world of instant photography. Uh, Thanks, uh, Jay, for pointing this out to me on Twitter. uh, And it's been reported by a number of the news services that focus on photography. 
Uh, it's also a precursor, I think, to Photokina because we're starting to see some of the early Photokina announcements coming out now. But this one's one close to my heart and close to the subject we were talking about last week, uh, which is Instax Mini. And we have been informed by Fujifilm Global that they are going to release a black and white version of the Instax Mini film. Uh, Graham, what do you think about this news? I, I this is interesting news. So for people who don't know, like like our good friend Dave here, the Fuji Instax oh. is it's pretty much the only um mass well, I suppose we've got the impossible project as well, but that's still quite a small production. But Fuji Instax is this instant film for using instant cameras, the Fuji Instant Stax cameras. So it's like Polaroid cameras, Dave. Only it's made by Fuji right. and it's a bit smaller. Uh, I thought it was I've... like a little box that's a printer that you plug your digital Ooh. camera into and then pretend that you've got film pictures well it. your confusion is justified because the most it gets used on this podcast is by aid and aid does have this uh what's the one you've got is it the sp1 print aid yeah it is yeah and what that does is it it receives a digital picture and then makes an analog print onto this so your confusion is completely justified um but they do also just plain old cameras that you put the film in and they work just like a Polaroid and take pictures. I, I think, I mean, I think this new film is, it's good. I mean, for one thing, it's new film coming out. Just full stop. That's great. From yeah, Fuji. We, should, we should stop and think about that for a minute. This is a new film being launched by Fuji. Yeah, so that's normally, quite exciting. Yeah. They've done a lot of pulling the plugs, um, over the last few years, um, most recently, they, they, I can't remember what the um, what the last couple of things they discontinued, but I know that in the last month or so, they've discontinued another couple of film types. Um, so I mean, Fuji, Fuji film, really, it's it's all about Velvia, isn't it? That's a, yeah, that's a good Fuji it, one. But who, who shoots anything else? Well, I mean, you know, you say that, but their superior is probably the most available. Um, just you know mass market color film you go into boots or anywhere like that any high street stop it's going to be fuji superior so that's still out there and doing the rounds and um that's true actually i picked up a roll of that in snappy snaps in islington it cost me the best part of seven pounds yeah that's that's too much for fuji superior but anyway so they they've been culling their range a lot and the fact that they're bringing out that they've been really pushing this instax range and the fact they brought out a black and white version of it says to me well they're clearly listening to their fairly huge market for this stuff saying we want to be able to do more creative stuff we want more options so if they've taken this step and this is successful maybe they'll take other steps it's very recently that they discontinued the the pack film the fp100 um, C or whatever it was uh, and it wasn't that long ago that they discontinued the black and white pack film so I hope that this might be an indication that maybe there's a lot of mites and maybes here <laughs> but maybe they could be persuaded that there is a market there for a more um, flexible instant photography system because I think there is I think people want that um, I, but it's definitely not as many people as want the, the point and shoot stuff. But if, there's, if it can be shown there's a big enough segment of the market there who want to be able to take more creative control 
and the success of well who knows whether how big a success it's been of the impossible project uh i one i can't remember what that camera's well, the called. new camera um, yeah the new camera's called the i1 yeah yeah you know th- that's obviously garnering interest i mean it's i'm sure it's not selling in high enough numbers of um units to attract fuji to that kind of proposition yet but either way i i, I find it heartening that they are bringing out a new film um and uh, whether it goes any further than this who knows but we, I, 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 to be honest, I'm actually think it's more likely that we will see other variations on Instax Mini than we will necessarily see these being carried through to the wide. But you never know. Hope springs eternal. I think I think you're right. I think there's two reasons for that. And I know that the Instax Mini is is very big uh, in Japan, uh, and it's also the one they really really push at the the very the the young demographic market. Uh, and uh, given that it costs about the same retail as the wide, um, but is half the size, I'm pretty sure the margins on it are somewhat higher as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good business for them. It is, it is. But hey, you know what? I, uh, it's it's making my life choosing a real instant camera um, even harder because I thought I was going to buy a, a wide camera, uh, and now I'm going back to ooh, well, I can have black and white, can't I? I don't know. I'm just going to have to buy about 25 cameras, try them all out, and eBay the ones I don't like, I suppose. <laughs> Sounds like the most sensible plan. Sounds like a Dave sort of a plan, actually. Just buy all the cameras and um, I, find I them. Object, uh, <laughs> not to the buying lots of cameras part, but this this whole thing just reeks of clumsiness, doesn't it? Like, really, is this your workflow? Well, we, I, don't, we, we, I don't think... I think AIDS workflow has merit to it, because I've actually been thinking this after our conversation last week not necessarily about doing what aid's been doing where he's shooting digital and then printing to instax because i don't have an instax printer but the thought of have, taking a digital shot and i know that some people do do this and printing it onto a transparency and then making a physical print from that silver gelatin from a digital negative that could be quite interesting be mm. quite cool to try so you know i think it's it's all but in, that, in that process i think we discussed this on the forums a few years ago you what do you do get like a sheet of acetate and and put it in your inkjet printer and create a negative and then put that on top of your photo paper and then you go ahead and shine your enlarger lamp onto it right it's like a mm. sort of contact print yeah and, yeah. and there you have some sort of creative freedom and you can go back to waving your hands over the image and and dodging well, and burning. If if you can wave your hand in the, the sub millimeter space between an acetate sheet and the print paper, um, good luck with waving that. I, I um, thought it was uh, you printed it, you know, maybe A4 size or you know eight by ten or whatever. I think I've heard both actually. I think there's some people who are printing their digital negatives uh, reasonably small, or people who've got enlargers for things like five by four film. Uh, you print a five by four digital negative, and then you can you've you've got the quality in that digital negative to to blow up a picture really really large. But I think I've also heard what the you know, the stuff that Graham's describing about you know the contact print approach. Yeah, that seems like the easiest way because as you said, it's it's real easy to just print a large print in the first place and slap it on. And and also if you're doing a print from a digital, you can do all the dodging and burning digitally first. So I mean that's you know it's. 
uh, it, it's all fair game, I think. And the other thing is, Dave, mm. uh, you know, you're here preaching about um, the darkroom stuff, which I am fully on board with. But when did you last make a darkroom print? Oof, probably a year <laughs> ago. Exactly. There are some drawbacks with it. See, the problem is, Aid is just smarter than us, and he's managing to work. He's managed to work analog in, into his system where we've just given them the well. This is without time for this full stop. So, yeah. Uh, and analog printing is great, but you need to have the space and the time to do it. But yeah, touche. Okay, yeah. I'll give you that. But really, it, it is the best way to create a print is to not have any digital process involved. Shoot film, stick your negative in an enlarger, wave your hands over it, and uh, and create a beautiful print. You know that that's that's what we're aiming for, isn't it, guys? On a film photography voyage here. Do you know what? Do you know what? I've been thinking for a little while because I look after the podcast Twitter stream and Twitter has this thing in it where you can do a poll. I think this is a a sort of question where we should poll the audience. So I will try and find a way to do that without being biased towards my own workflow. (laughs) (laughs) And what you should also do, Aid, can I do a... I know that we haven't reached a shout-out stage, but um, I'd like to do a a cheeky little shout-out to PhotoFusion... Uh, which is a dark room that you can rent and go on courses at. And it's used to be based in Brixton. I think they might have moved, um, but you can surely Google it and find out. And you could go to that age. You can do a, a nice little evening course for, you know, maybe three hours or so, learn learn the craft of printing. And uh, yeah, That would be pretty awesome. It. it would be, would be absolutely awesome. awesome. It would be really awesome. Um, and all of those things are on my to-do list as as soon as my children are grown up and left and I don't have to work so blooming hard and all the other stuff that gets in the way, um, I, which I know is all just excuses. Um, uh, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it gets, it's, it's stuff that I need to work out how to, how to do, isn't it? Stuff that I need to work out how to do. Speaking you, you of which... Just one, sorry, just one, one final thing on this. Just because uh, we, we started off talking about instant photography and this new instant photography. An ironic twist with this is that um, next week my camera club is kicking back off again. And I'm supposed to turn up with photographs for a set subject every time we go. And I think the subject next week is um, still life, table still life. Isn't it it what I did on my holiday? Surely surely the first one Um, after the summer break has got to be what I did on my holidays. (laughs) I wish it was. The ironic thing is that I think the only way I am likely to have a print to take with me is if I do it in a dark room, because that is the most instant way for me to be able to get a picture, because I could literally... Take a photo, develop it at home, d- develop the film, and then make a print. And I could do all of that in the space of one day. And there's no other way, because I don't have a digital printer for doing stuff. So I could actually get, I mean, if I use Ronald and um, the 4x5 paper, that again, you talked about when I did it, it's, that's instant photography. I got click the shutter, process the paper, photo, and done. So. Sometimes it can be quite quick with the traditional methods, but I think that's a really good idea because I, I don't know much about your camera club, but would you be the only one there who's actually done a five by four print? Oh God, yeah, David. The, the, the look on the the because they have these judges come round and um, they tend to be of a type by which I mean for the most part fat elderly men. Um, you and, listen to the podcast, or uh, I'm fairly confident that most of them couldn't work a, a VCR, let alone a mobile. Well, nobody phone can work a VCR. That's a slightly unfair <laughs> test. 
fair point. Um, but over the last year, I, I shared quite a few um, film photos. Uh, towards the end, they were even a couple of times, I, I my entries for the competition were actually properly printed film photos. And you can just tell, like, hmm, there seems to be a lot of noise in this photo. Did you, did you shoot the wrong ISO? It's like, it's, it's not noise. It's, it's grain. It's film photo. They're just, unfortunately, their their brains have been broken by digital. And so, I mean, it's not going to stop me from doing it. I'm just going to keep losing. Um, yeah, they don't, they don't. The traditional mm. methods have fallen apart. That's quite hard. sad. Yeah, it is. And it is. carrying on my inappropriate shout outs at the wrong time. Can I just do a, a quick shout out to Cole for his beautiful grain and his superb negatives that he developed himself recently did you see those that you posted today on the forums uh, yeah the second batch they yeah very good they very good. nailed it did you see you those uh, no i'm gonna have a quick look at those now while you two talk about them yeah well, one of we... them shows some excellent grain um and you know that's that's quite on topic there i'm gonna bring it up myself as well it's yeah. uh it's a good batch of photos there it's very nice to see because we talked last week about the fact that his first run at um, home development had not been a complete success. But this second batch, he has clearly nailed it um, mm. in a way which I find frustrating. Uh, I, I developed some negatives this week and still I am unable to get clean negatives. They've always got so much dust and watermarks on them. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I suspect probably a laundry list of things, but uh, yeah, what are you going to do? Try, try, try again, actually. Actually, yeah, I'm just looking at these now from Cole. They, they've come out really nicely. Um, they are, you know, from a, a scratch point of view, way better than the first half of that role. So, yeah, well done, Cole. Mm, look at that shot of his dad there. Look at the grain in the corners in the upper right and the upper left. You know, that that's grain right there, isn't it? That's, uh, that's really something. I have a confession to make. I have never liked the... Th no, not that. I've, <laughs> <laughs> I have never liked the 35 Your millimeter. wife might be listening to this podcast. So. Uh, no. I have never liked the 35mm focal length. It's something I've tried and I've tried and I've tried over the years. And it just seems to me it's not wide enough for wide work and it's not normal enough for, for normal wandering around and shooting. And... Do you know what? It's it's frustrating for somebody who wants to buy cameras because especially point and shoot cameras, especially point and shoot film cameras, because so many of them have as as standard a, a 35mm lens or a or a 38mm lens or something like that. And uh you know, uh, regular listeners, loyal listeners will know I've spent most of the summer shooting with Holgers. And a Holger has a 60mm lens. Uh but of course it's a six by six centimeter negative and it's roughly equivalent in 35 mil terms to i think a focal length uh, of about 30 millimeters so what happened was i came back and i thought you know what i need to use a camera that's got a bit more stuff in it and i picked up one of my film slrs uh, the nikon fe2s and i put my standard 50 mil lens on because i've always been a 50 millimeter kind of person uh, that's the thing that best fits the mental image in my mind when I put the camera to my eye uh, and I did that 
and for some reason possibly because i'd spent all summer shooting with the holger the 50 mil just didn't work for me it felt like i was too constrained and just so i thought well do you know what somewhere in the back of this drawer uh there's a there's a 35 millimeter lens i i don't use it very often um this is probably going to end up being one of those segments what's the occasional segment called graham something along the lines of kit i found in the back of my cupboard today yeah yeah something like that something. yeah so i found this 35 mil lens in the back of the drawer i i whacked it on a camera and took it on my standard commute uh, for those of you that have seen my photographs of wandering around london on on my standard commute that's exactly what i did with this and do you know what it made loads and loads of sense especially when i started thinking in terms of uh some of my cinematic crop type shots uh i quite favor a, a two to one ratio uh which I, i'm unaware of of any camera that will shoot that sort of natively on on, on a single 35 mil frame uh and uh so what i've done is i've spent the last couple of weeks really trying to focus on using a 35 millimeter focal length uh because i'm using 35 mil film it's actually a 35 mil lens and i've been posting to our Flickr group uh, as and to instagram and to twitter uh some film shots in a two to one crop and it feels good and for the first time in my life i'm actually enjoying 35 millimeter um i no idea where this will take me in terms of my photography uh but uh it's new and uh it might seem strange to people because actually a lot of people shoot with a 35 mil lens uh quite regularly um graham what's your thoughts on this well i've got quite a few point and shoot cameras um and as you're saying they do tend to be around the 35 millimeter mark and I think it's an interesting focal length because, as you said, when you've got normal 50 millimeter lens, which is a bit like just it's what we see the world as day to day. And so that could be a really nice, comfy starting point. I think that's the my back in the day, all all the uh, SLRs, the, the standard kit lens for an SLR used to be a 50 millimeter lens. Um, and the 28 millimeter lens, wide angle lens, you use that for your landscape and stuff like that. And the 35 millimeter could be the the ugly stepchild in between that fitted mm -hmm. near the store. But what I've actually found with it is that it um, because it's not wide enough to be used in the landscape fashion. What you're really doing with it is you're getting closer to things with it and getting more in. Um, uh, for street photography in particular, I think it's a wonderful focal Ugh. length. <laughs> Spat we'll on get the to floor you. there. We'll get to your feelings on street photography a little bit later. Um, but no, I, I really like it. I mean, like every focal length, it's not always going to be perfect. But for a general walk around um, lens, I, I, I do think it has a lot to recommend it. Um, and it, it's, I always like to use it to get in closer to subjects where I would normally be shooting a 50 millimeter rather than the other way around of trying to back up and, and get in a, a wide angle lens shot in um i actually the the last roll of film i developed was from the canon sure shot a1 it was the one of the rolls of film i shot whilst i was away on holiday that's got i think a 32 millimeter lens on it and it's great it's um 
you, you can it's a very flexible focal length so it's got enough room in there that you can get reasonable amounts of the scenery in, but it's certainly no wide angle lens but um it was great for taking pictures of people and great for just broader scenes and uh yeah, I really like it, and I, I do think for, there's a there's a reason it's married up with point and shoot cameras. It's just a very good flexible um, focal length. Uh, yeah, I like I, I like it a lot. Um, uh, that said, I do own a couple of thirty five millimeter lenses for SLRs, and haven't used them much. <laughs> it does tend to be either fifty or twenty eight millimeter, but. Uh, I don't know why that is. I think it's probably just because the quality of the lenses I've got for those tends to be the best lenses. Um, you, you quite often find with SLRs that the 35mm lenses that are in abundance are third-party lenses, and they're not always the greatest. At least that's the ones I've got. So, But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice length. And the pictures that you've been sharing on Instagram and on Flickr that you've taken with the, the lens over the last couple of weeks have been great, really lovely shots. That picture in particular from the uh, market at was it market brick lane I, it's, uh, it's borough market actually funnily enough I, wor- I work near brick lane market but um uh it's it, that was borough market which is on my commute yeah that was a stunning shot i mean just really stunning and it's one of these pictures where if you would only had the 50 millimeter lens in it you would not have got the the scale and the scoping that, that, that the picture conveyed so um yeah it's pretty great no, well, th- well th- thank, thank you. I, it is. It's interesting. It's a different way of seeing things, which is is new to me. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, I hesitate to ask this next question because it relates to street photography. But Dave, do you use a thirty-five mil focal length much? Um, well, the uh, one of the Minolta's I bought the seven thousand I came with the mini Birkan lens, which is a thirty-five to 70 zoom and that's actually a uh, a similar lens to the one i have for my nikon f801 and in fact um that really cruddy picture of machu picchu on the pixelatedphotographer.com website uh, that really should get refreshed and taken down there uh, that was taken on that lens and, and probably at 35 millimeters as well to get as much of the uh, scenery in there for, for the benefit of the the listeners, who obviously can't see this uh, very poorly uh, described cruddy picture, as they put it. This is a really lovely picture of Machu Picchu, um, and th- th- that just goes to show with that one that you can get enough in on a thirty-five millimeter to get some really stunning shots. Because that that picture is a pretty epic shot. Um, I really love that picture. That's think, very kind of you, but um, I, I feel like it's getting a little bit old on the website now. And it, to... the, the, it probably does need refreshing. I'm not going to lie on that one. It probably does need refreshing. <laughs> I think um, the thing for me with the 35mm, because when I read about and look at people who are doing a lot of um, street photography, again, going back to this, because I think this is quite <sighs> particularly relevant, <laughs> that a lot of people, a lot of the pros... Uh, and people who are really doing it dedicatedly are using wide-angle lenses and getting close. And I think that's very that's a hard skill to build up to. And I think the 35mm lens is good training wheels for that. It's getting you more into the scene. It's getting you to become more part of it than, than a 50mm, and certainly 
I don't think you should ever use a longer lens than 50 millimeter if you are taking pictures on the street. I think you're you're really distancing yourself from that. Although I guess you know different people, different styles. But yeah, so different strokes, different blokes. I, I I would have to disagree with you there. I find zooming out to the whopping 85 millimeters on my rather good Minolta lens, you know, is is quite nice at times. Yeah. Um, but one thing I would like to say about the 35 mil is I did shoot that on Uncle. Uh, Nikon camera, he had a, um, oh Christ, I can't remember, D D80, does that sound about right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, my, my first ever DSLR was a Nikon D80, yeah. Right, lovely camera, um, and he had a, uh, a crummy Sigma zoom on it, and uh, wanted to upgrade to something better, so I suggested a nice prime, and, and he picked himself up the Nikon 35mm lens, which when you team it to a uh, was it APS-C sensor is probably equivalent to maybe a 50 millimeter in real photography. Yeah, I've got exactly that setup actually on mine, and that's gorgeous, isn't it? What what a combo! Um, it's really fast. It's great. Um, yeah, I think the best you can get out of 35 mil lens is putting it on a small sensor camera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I do. I shoot a lot with fifty millimeter lenses um, on my analog cameras, and and when I was shooting digital um, with my old DSLR, I um, I used a fifty millimeter lens on that, which is obviously a bit longer on that. Um, but I do find that sometimes that that fifty millimeter focal length, you just can't get very much in there, and um, it's it's great if your your subject is you know, it's a person. I just think if you're trying to catch somebody within a broader scene, there's there's not the room to do that. But in with a 35 millimeter, you can get you you're close enough that the the subject is very much the subject, but you can get more of the setting of the subject. And I think that's why it, it works so well for me. Is that a digital? Uh, is that no, with the equivalent, aren't they? 35 digital and 50 35 mil film. That's yeah, about the same, isn't it? Bizarrely, with my when I bought my Fuji digital camera, that I got a 35 mil lens for that, which would would be the 50 mil equivalent. You're absolutely right. I found I didn't use that all that much. I don't know. I I actually ended up using far more often with that the 18 millimeter lens, which was the 20 millimeter equivalent, 28 millimeter equivalent. Um, so I don't know what. Which it camera is, is this on? Sorry, Graham. There was on. That's on my Fuji digital camera. And is, is that is that not a micro two thirds camera? No, it's an APS-C one again. Is it? Okay. Yeah. but uh, So you're going to stick with the 35mm, then, Aid? Is this the thing you're going to push push on with? I, I'm going to try for a while because, actually, it's, it's, it's suiting me at the moment. I'm enjoying it. And if I'm enjoying it for the first time ever, I'm going to keep going with it. Uh, and, uh, you know, who knows? It might open a whole new world of camera purchases to me because I'll suddenly be able to use these point-and-shoots that I've always wanted a decent one for years and years and years. And... Uh, never been able to get a Rico. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but something like that would be great. Yeah, or um, yeah, there's the the there's good Minolta's, there's good Olympus, yeah, cameras. There's there's all sorts of good stuff out there. I think the the other good one is um, is it Contax? Do a oh yeah, the the, kind of Rico equivalent. I think yeah. Have you? uh, I know it's the Yashica you've got, isn't it? You've got because you've got a my T three, yeah, yeah. Because I can say the Contax and the Yashicas have similar names, but yeah. So yeah, all of that and and that could be great, and I I I look forward to that. And I think um, so. I'm going to stick with the 
uh, I'm going to stick with the 35 millimeter lens and I'm going to stick with the 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 two to one crop as well because having shot square all summer I'm kind of a bit bored of square square I've done square now for for a little while I'll, I'll come back to it later and uh, it's, I was just thinking the other day that actually people who've listened to this podcast for the from the beginning probably think I've only ever shot a Holger because I was really on a Holger kick all summer <laughs> but yeah. uh, these uh, people think that you're a square aid yeah yeah <laughs> they do when really really all I want to do is is print digital photographs to a small Instax film (laughs) (coughs) tough crowd As uh, teased at the top of the show, uh, and you know, uh, prepare to be blasted with opinion on this one. Uh, we are going to talk about now street photography, and uh, one of the reasons it's great to have Dave back on the show this week is that uh, Dave is not without some thought on street photography. Uh, Dave, what you got? Me. <coughs> We need no, slightly, uh, slightly more. <laughs> In all honesty, I, I, I hate it. Um, I, I, I feel that street photography is horrendous and should not be plastered all over Flickr or Instagram or wherever else it is you guys post your photographs. It's, uh, it's a very intrusive discipline and I find it uh, rather vulgar at the moment. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at on it. Okay, look, uh, far be it for me to be the argumentative type with you on this one. But uh, something must have led you to have this feeling. You, I'm, I'm, it did, it did. And I, you know guess, what it is. Well, I, yeah, I, 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 you did mention something yesterday that you, you but you know, share with the audience why, what has led to you. Because I would describe you as somebody who, over my... Um, acquaintance with you as primarily being somebody who's taking pictures out on the streets i would describe you as primarily a street photographer so (laughs) well uh, only because you suddenly take an umbrage against street photography why why anti-street photography now i don't know i guess (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's it's your stupid picture for the cheap shot challenge uh, yeah. that's riled me so much of that um, rather lovely looking lady walking through the scaffolding and you know it's a nice shot and when you posted it I think I commented that it would be improved somewhat if she was walking towards the camera rather than away yeah which you know I think you agreed with at the time oh, yeah. actually yeah, no, I, I have no problems at all with that comment at all. But um, but your your feelings have shifted on this picture since that conversation, clearly. Yeah, so I, I thought I'd uh, go for a late entry into the Cheap Shots Challenge. And I thought I'd do it properly by loading up some black and white film, because everyone knows that street photography should be black and white. So I had enough in my budget after buying the rather good 700SI, some Poundland special film, a 50 millimeter convex lens and a roll of tri-x to go out and shoot this stuff and i thought i'd head 
head into town to do so. So I'm driving, driving into town, heading off to the bath park and ride, giving it all the Billy Big Buffaloes about how I'm going to shoot people walking face on. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to take some great shots here. And then I get into town and I realise that that's just a horrible thing to do, to hang around with your stupid camera and taking pictures of people on the street is just disgusting. OK, now look, uh, to a reference another podcast, which I'm a big fan of, uh, the uh, Joe John Hodgman podcast, I think we've just found the crux of this problem. This is not an issue about your feelings on street photography regarding it being intrusive or crap or anything like that. This is because you went into town with a mission in mind and you got there and you were suddenly reminded quite brutally of the fact that you're actually quite a shy person and that trying to do what you'd set out to do was uncomfortable for you and unenjoyable. Um and so, as a defence mechanism, you've gone. Well, this is all just rubbish. Uh, yeah, all right, Freud. <laughs> uh, probably going to have to agree with that. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll tell you not... about my father now as well. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear more about Uncle Nozzer. Never mind your dad. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, right, I, I'm actually not going to dispute that street photography can be intrusive and obnoxious. Um, but to say that as a general thing it is, is insane because street photography is so broad. And I remember earlier when I said, I, I think of your photography as street photography. But that said, I never think of you as somebody who is going up and making street portraits of people. Yours is, yours images, as a, a lot of the stuff I see, are pictures constructed using the elements of the street and what's going on around. And there are people that are part of that they are elements of the image um and, and is that not quite creepy how i'm using these people around the place to create this image and you know they're not aware of it and well, no, perhaps they I wouldn't want think, to be part of it no i don't think it is creepy at all i mean in your stuff in most of the cases in your pictures um the people are at a distance because that's clearly where you feel comfortable shooting them and and it's also it at the distance that you shoot at, you're using the larger constructs of the building and the the geography around you to put together the frame. So these people are a small element of it that they're not recognisable, but they're adding to the picture. And I I think that actually, if anything, in your so distance that it's not creepy at all because they are they're a part of the machine. Um, I think some people's work is a lot more up close and personal. And, um, and I think with that, you know, you, the question then of whether people know they're having a picture taken or don't know becomes um, perhaps more important. But I, at the same time, I think when it's done well, um, it can reveal a lot about the, the, you know, the world that just we don't pay any attention to. I went to a photography exhibition in Oxford a few years ago. It was a, a they had loads of different people uh, exhibiting all around the town and we went to see various different ones. And one of my favourite ones, uh, I cannot remember what the artist's name was, um, but the pictures were of people on public transport and they were taken. It looked like the, the, the camera was mounted somewhere if it was on a bus, say somewhere above the driver. 
looking down on these people and the image quality was spectacularly low it was like you know a very low megapixel count camera or something like or that. something like aids cheap shot challenge camera you know. <laughs> no, it was, no it was lower quality than that really right. um and so the, the, these pictures were of people who were completely unaware that there were pictures being taken and they were very mundane things and and also they were almost abstracted because of the poor quality of the image but i found them fascinating because that abstraction shame on you no but it wasn't it wasn't voyeurism because it it turned the pictures into something else they were they were removed from being from reality essentially because of the construction of the images and the way it looked they were removed from reality and became something other um my partner hated them <laughs> absolutely hated them but that's by the by um but no i think i think good street photography i i saw and it's, i'm really frustrated because i cannot remember who it was um who took the picture um but there were two on our instagram stream the other day and i apologize for not being able to remember who this was but it was a picture and i think this would definitely fall in the category of what you were calling creepy and voyeuristic it was a picture taken on the train of the two people in the seats opposite um and they were both just there and just looking out the window and it's a very nicely composed picture um and i really loved that picture because i looked at it and i could just you just think what are those people thinking of I, it could be anything um and you can't see their faces you you, you can't there's it's not intrusive it was actually quite a, a sort of peaceful scene um but i thought that was great and the other one along similar lines uh, is one who I can remember. Um, it's uh, Expert Grain, who has done some beautiful landscape work in the past that I've enjoyed and has been doing more urban stuff lately. And he had this picture of a lady sat on the bench um, who had some cool tattoos and was sat there with her shopping. And she was quite clearly aware that she was having a picture taken. You know, it was almost a post shot. Uh, but the people to either side of her on the bench, you could see what distinctly turning away they didn't want any part of it um it was oh uh, yeah it's a great shot I, I think i love pictures with people in uh, i think people are inherently fascinating um and i think street photography is a can be a great way of showing us a world that is actually going on around us all the time but that we just completely tune out and I think you do a good job of actually taking pictures which fit the end. And I, I, you should let the fact that you don't, the one aspect of shooting street photography, you just don't like doing. Just don't do that thing. Uh, and don't be angry about other people who do do it. Uh, what do you think, Aid? Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> Is Aid still here? So uh, uh, yeah. Um, what do I think? I think uh, that pretty deep actually and pretty philosophical and uh it's it it resonates with me because i've been trying to push myself to uh to take photographs on the street that are more about people uh you know i've been uh, i mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast uh you know for for this commute i've been doing now for over a year i have been 
uh, taking photos uh, almost daily. Uh, started off doing it digitally, then moved it to, to film photography. And uh, I got to a point where I'd, I'd taken all the shots of Tower Bridge in various different lighting situations that, that I, I could possibly think of. And uh, so I've been forcing myself to take photos that are more about the people of London rather than just the things in London. But I do. I don't want to be intrusive. I do have trouble with you know the intrusive nature of it and while I try and take some that's got some interest of people in it and showing how the people are part of the city as well um, I'm I'm trying to do that and try and get some element of that into it some element of the life of the city into it but also trying not to be you know right up there in people's faces and not to try try not to make them uncomfortable it's a really it, it's a really fine line for for me personally it's it's a really tricky dynamic because um i don't know that i'd consider myself particularly shy but i'm also not the most adventurous person when it comes to pointing a camera at strangers uh, i'll quite happily point my camera at people that i know but at strangers it's it's, it's a different thing f for me personally so mm. all all You're of violating them yeah. are you violating them i I, mean, I think i think there are situations in which that might be true um and i think the part of that is <laughs> part of that is the approach of the photographer and part of that is where you are and i think if you're walking across london bridge in the morning and you are one of a million people um i don't feel that that's a, a violation thing you know it's not like i'm you know sticking a camera through your bathroom window or something like that so I think there are levels for me and I think having tried it and having tried to push myself to 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 push push myself to take different maybe more involved photographs um uh, I I feel that there are le there are levels and I feel that there are there are times when I I see an opportunity to take a shot and I I, I put the camera to my eye and then I think to myself no I'm not taking that shot it's not right uh, and uh, and I, I realised that although I've seen an opportunity, I, I've gone past my own comfort level for how I interact or, or how I might capture a photograph mm. of other people in the And city. you know, the really sad part about this is you probably missed the shot. I, th I think you, you need to violate people here. <laughs> <laughs> that comes out all wrong. I, uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm really badly paraphrasing <laughs> Suzanne Sontag here. Have, have you read her book at all? Either of you no, chats? no, I haven't. Uh, no, 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 no. But, but you're right. On, on so, so regardless of whether it was you that was saying it or whether it was her that was saying it, actually the sentiment is, is correct. I think in some cases, some of the most impactful shots are the ones that are the most... The, the most the, the the greater violation and and you know you you read uh you know interviews with the famous street photographers where they say no you've got to run around you've got to shove your camera lens up somebody's nose before you're close enough that's how you know you're close enough because you're taking photos of their yeah their nostrils mm. i um, saw a youtube video of some guy in brooklyn doing that earlier today <laughs> you watch he, way too much youtube <laughs> i really do find it on reddit i spend far too much time there but um yeah, just to, um, you know, I don't want Susan uh, leaving us a bad iTunes review here. <laughs> um, so, you know, I might just take a quick moment to quote her a little more fully. She says, to photograph people is to violate them by seeing them as they never see themselves, by having knowledge of them that they can never have. 
Okay, well, I, yeah, I, th- I think there's a, I think that's very true, but, but I think the way that, I don't think that that's violating in the way that we think of the word violating being used. I, I, I see what how you're do getting. you think of that word being used, Graham? I think of that being used in a, in a way where the person who is being violated feels violated. I think what you've just mm. read, in that situation, the person who's having their photograph taken. It has no effect on them. Uh, they 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 are not feeling violated. You, can, you um, know, unless you've been on the receiving end of it, you know, like aid. Hey, I've I've done the commute across London Bridge. You know, I've maybe crossed that bridge four hundred times, and I've had people take my photograph as I walk across it. I look quite strange. I attract. Yeah, you do. I do, <laughs> and and I find that when I'm out taking pictures, people are taking pictures of me just because I look so odd, and I feel violated. I don't like it. That's so interesting because I, I don't really, I really don't mind. And so the thing for me, the dynamic for me is, is that, you know, would I treat treat people like you'd prefer to be treated yourself? I actually really don't mind uh, when people take my photograph. And in fact, actually, you know, I, I'm, you know, not above giving them a nod, say, yeah, I've noticed and it's okay. Because uh, I've I got no problem with having my photo taken. But that's the thing is, is that maybe I know that some people don't like having their photo taken. And so just because I'm comfortable with it doesn't mean that other people are. So it's 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 a really tricky one and I think you know, um you know, there will be people with strong opinions about, you know, staying further away and there will be strong opinions people with strong opinions about it's not street photography unless you're inside their trousers. But yeah. the thing is, I mean I I, 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 I with Dave, I think it's oh you know, you your opinion seems to be largely based upon the fact that, as I mentioned, you you are actually a, a, a relatively shy person. You don't like having your picture taken, and so I understand why you would then go, "Well, I think we're violating people when we're taking their pictures." But not everybody feels like you. And in fact, if you look at you know any social media, you'll realize that most people love the having their picture taken and what have you. Um, sure, I got a so- few new Instagram followers recently. Uh, they're they're very young ladies who like taking photographs of themselves. There you go. See my my point exactly, and whether you should be, I think being the the approach of being up close, I think actually is, if anything, less. Um, I hate the I keep using this word violating, but I think the being. Uh, I was just, thinking creepy there, but yeah. Uh, but I I think it's 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 more. I think the fur in some ways, if you're further away using a long lens, that's way more creepy. Agreed. I think yeah. by getting by getting up close, you are actually you are connecting with that pe- person, even if it is a slightly antagonistic connection. You are connecting with them. There is a real human connection with them there, and mm. um, and that's and, what you want to capture as well, isn't it? That's the whole point it, of this photograph that we're taking. It is, and to a certain extent, if in the way that Susan Sontag is saying, you are in some way violating that person because you are revealing. Uh, truths about them that they don't see in themselves i think the cost can be worth it because uh, amazing art uh, and uh, particularly amazing pictures of people out in the world like that can be really thought-provoking they are the kind of pictures i love to see um Mm. and me too that's that's the main crux of why i'm so annoyed with this new stance i have on street photography (laughs) is that they are my favorite pictures and to be honest they're the only ones really worth looking at you know a shot of Machu Picchu whatever we've all seen that but you know some real raw human emotion mm, that's what I, think, I, I think it's like any other 
photographic genre is that there is good and there is bad and it is about the quality i, I at my photography club last year they had someone come in to do a talk on street photography i thought oh this will be good I, this is something i would love to learn more about i'm not very good at it and um the guy just came and showed a load of his pictures and he wasn't great i'm not going to be around but his pictures were not particularly inspiring and there were lots of them and they were a lot of them were quite tedious and anyway the first picture a picture came up of a homeless person and so my my hand went up because I'm in the arse and said, oh, what what do you think about um, the fact that so many people getting into street photography tend to take quite a lot of pictures of homeless people because they view it as you know, edgy. Good and question. And um, he went, oh, yeah, yes, no, I sort of agree. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, the following, I think, three pictures were more pictures of homeless people. I, I think things like that are a problem um because that that is violating and 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 it has and it's violating in the sense where there is the any artistic that there ever was in that has long since been tapped out but but that really just does come down to the quality of the photography that's being done um Mm. so yeah crap street photography will always be crap but good street photography even when it is pushing the boundaries can be amazing yeah, it definitely agreed with the homeless people. You know, it's it's so not cool taking those photographs unless you're shit hot and you're going to create a wonderful image. I, I I called it a day after my street photography session in Bath yesterday. You know, I, was, uh, I ran out of my Tri-X, but I thought mm, I might load a little roll of T-Max here. Uh, and, uh, and then some tramps started fighting and their dogs came out and... You know, there's a beautiful fountain behind them. The light was perfect, and there's a cathedral somewhere. I thought, well, here we go. Here's a here's a hell of a picture coming up here. And then I realised I was taking pictures of tramps fighting, and felt disgusted. Turned my camera off and went home. Yeah, no, it's it's all about the personal choices. It's all about the personal choices, and you you have to do what works for you and what uh, you're morally comfortable with. Yeah, I feel like I missed a good shot, though. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like a brilliant shot, actually. I was just it thinking was that it. myself. The police turned up. And, there, and, therein, well. and therein lies the completely unresolvable issue. Okay, well, it's that time of the podcast where we like to do some shootouts and shoutouts, and it would only be polite to let our guest, Dave, go first. So, Dave, who do you want to shout out to? Thanks, Aid. I'd like to have a special mention going to a new member of the com forums where all the film action happens. Uh, this new user, I've forgotten their name, but they were very keen on collagen skin cream and they looked like a really enticing link um in their initial post there so um yeah keep up the good skincare work i, I was gonna say is it bill owens because he in the forums but i don't think bill owens is big on collagen skin cream so no probably not then no i think some moderators must have deleted the post it doesn't seem to be there at the moment but as you talk about bill owens he's my second shout out go on bill um 
great work getting stuck into the street photography chat uh, that's going on both on the podcast and on the forums. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, Bill. Okay, all right, thanks, Dave. Um, I've got just the one this week. Uh, it's uh, an Instagram account that really caught my eye. Um, I Not somebody I've spoken to or not spoken to yet, anyway. Uh, it goes by the name of Justin Ford. And uh, this week, just for the second week in a row, I've chosen somebody whose online name is almost uh, unpronounceable, but I think I'd probably call him at Ernesto Hemingwayo. Uh, now, I sense Dave's got a better literary education than I am, but I'm pretty sure I've heard of Hemingway. Um, so oh, congratulations. I would like, yeah, yeah, I know that's not much of a, yeah, it's not much of a, a, an achievement, is it? But uh, yeah, Justin Ford, under the name Ernesto Hemingwayo, um, posting a lot of film photography to uh, Instagram at the moment, uh, says he's currently based in Santiago. Um, he doesn't say what country, but I'm guessing that's the Santiago, Chile in south america um he's posting some some landscapes with 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 people in them um not photographs of the people more photos of the environment and he's got a real a a real sort of soulful look to them they're quiet they're soulful that sometimes they're sort of early morning mist and things like that but it really caught my Mm. eye so so go check i think i've seen some yeah very good indeed he he put that shot of the old man in the sea right I think he did, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hang on, sorry to be mid-flow. Dave, are you referring to that picture of me? <laughs> <laughs> right, the crime watch shot. No, you're looking hot there, Graham. My God, I... Sorry you, about that, Aidan. You don't that sound <laughs> that, 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 no. that hot. I think that, that's a very flattering picture. In, uh, that well, that, that insult just suddenly caught up with me. Yeah, I missed that completely because I think he actually did have a photograph of a man in the sea. I, I did. Yeah, I was I, also going for the uh, Hemingway reference there. Uh, Don't get that. So, Graham, I think you've got a few shout-outs as well. I certainly have. Um, first out, I want to give a big shout-out to Troop, 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 Troop uh, for the five-star iTunes review. Thank you very much. Um, I am very confident that Troop, 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 Troop is uh, somebody we're friends with on Instagram, but I don't know who. So whoever you are on Instagram, please let me know so I can thank you properly. Uh, but it's really appreciated that somebody over in the States, and that was awesome. Every, people in the UK, it's <laughs> big fat zero. Um, and... Uh, the uh you have to remind me oh uh hang on i can remember i haven't got my sheet in front of me what's the next one on the list date junked mail junk mail thank you very much yes junk mail um junk mail has been posting some great stuff this last last few weeks i i really like his instagram account it's um almost surreally random it's just you never know quite what you're going to see next but particularly of late just had this slightly surreal edge to them and i really appreciate it and he dropped me a line this week to say oh hi just started listening etc etc and um and i'd already been looking at stuff and no it's great so please keep doing what you're doing it's weird and i love it um yeah great Mm. cool and check it out what's that name uh dunked mail Okay. He does all sorts of. I think he does um, all sorts of random stuff as well, like tin types and stuff like that. So definitely worth a look at what he's doing. Um, and the last thing I wanted to mention quickly, because we got uh, hit up. I, I put a, another picture up that I took from the role of Red Scale film from my Olympus trip. Um, 
of, of my uh, youngest son, Elliot, because the, the photo which I uh, took umbrage to being referred to as an old man, which we posted up with our podcast art for last week of, of me in the beach looking very happy. I'd like to think um, not, but that was taken by my son Elliot. So I posted the picture of him up, and uh, the London Camera Project. Who I wish I knew what the name of the person who running that was, but uh, maybe I'll find that out. Uh, Bruce posted... something. <laughs> Bruce something. Yeah. Um, st- stuck up a question, just asking whether I had any experience with the light meters or the little red flags on the Olympus trips burning out and or not working properly. You know, um, if it reduced the camera to being useless. Um, I'm lucky enough that my camera still works properly. But unfortunately, it's with old cameras that use the selenium light meters, which are these passive light meters, they selenium. don't use that selenium, selenium, potato, other potato. Um, um, if they are left for a long time without a lens cap on or something like that, they'll just burn out and become completely useless. Um, Fortunately, with the Olympus Trip, although that camera has uh, automation for shutter and aperture, um, you can use it without the light meter functioning. So if you turn it off the A mode and select an aperture for it, it will default the shutter speed to uh, 140th of a second. It only has two shutter speeds anyway. It has 140th and 1200th, which it will automatically select if it's all working as it should be. But if that isn't happening... uh, the shutter will still fire properly just choose the aperture that best matches the shooting conditions and although you've got a much more limited set of options you can still use so um and if you do that's the case for quite a lot of old um what leaf shutter cameras isn't it like the uh yashica electro 35 would be a classic example oh absolutely my batteries actually just take a shot and normally it goes for the the fastest so i'm quite surprised that this um this trip's going for what did you say 60th or 30th uh, 40th 40th um, yeah sure it's yeah, not yeah. going for a 200th no no i i did double check that it is it is it. I, I did google it um, right, okay cool but, but um yeah you mean i have because i have that problem with my yashika that you mentioned uh, it's not that the battery's gone it's just there's a there's a problem with the camera and so it will only with the battery and it just goes all over the place. Um, but I can just take the battery out. It'll, the shutter will be at one five hundredth and I can set the aperture to compensate for that. And if I've got 400 speed film in it, that's fine. I can, I can work with that in most situations. So anyway, I, I hope that's helpful. And if you do have a camera, uh, with a selenium meter in that's still functioning, selenium, <laughs> selenium. what makes you Mr. Right? Um, two physics degrees. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, it is actually. Oh, God damn it. Fine. The selenium meter. I will take my kicks where I get them. Um, don't, don't, leave them on the, don't leave them on the mantelpiece without a lens cover on, basically. I, I've got, I mentioned before, I've got a lot of my cameras up on the mantelpiece. Um, my Olympus trip isn't up there because I don't have a lens cover for it, so it's stored away in a dark cupboard to pin it for as long as possible. All right, thanks, mate. Words of wisdom there, and uh, well done for not backing down in the face of two physics degrees. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> you just... can buy yourself a couple off the internet. You know, it's, yeah, uh, I got, I, I got a physics degree. Yeah. Al- Alibaba, you can buy them wholesale. Um, <laughs> the... 
uh, which leaves us just with the, the with the thank yous and uh, the reminders. Uh, thank you to uh, Chris at pixelatedphotographer.com, uh, as always, for uh, the hosting and the tech support. Uh, thank you to Kevin McLeod, uh, whose music Honey Bee is our theme tune. You can find Kevin's music, and he has a whole stash of it, and it's brilliant, at incompetech.com, and it's all shared under Creative Commons license. So uh, really do go check that out, just because it's fun, even if you don't need any incidental music. Uh, elsewhere you can find us on Instagram at Sunny16Podcast that's mostly Graham uh, although occasionally especially when Graham's been on holiday I'll, I'll uh, look after that uh, on Twitter at Sunny16Podcast is mostly me uh, our Flickr group Sunny16Podcast is attracting now uh, plenty of photos from a, a wide range of our new buddies in the podcast world so uh, uh, look forward to seeing what's popping up there in the near future again and uh, now that we've um, broken our duck on the email account sunny 16 podcast at gmail.com please send us any of your uh, compliments uh, your praise uh, any awards you might have lying around you know that that sort of stuff is always welcome um, and uh, if you're feeling really generous an itunes five star review would be much appreciated especially in canada where our only one is a bit lonely at the moment so all that remains is to say thank you very much to Dave. Hope you've had a great time being our guest again. Yeah, I loved it. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Graham. No worries. Oh, and... It's been a treat. <laughs> Has it? Yeah. Uh, no, I had yeah. a lovely time, actually. That was. I feel refreshed in my street photography vigour, so thank you. Splendid. And as always as well, thank you to Graham uh, for... Uh, everything um and this is a signing out saying uh, goodbye for another week and we'll speak to you soon cheers bye 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 for now Uh, one thing, um, I did get that Susan Sontag quote wrong. Could we re-record that? <laughs> no. <laughs> She's trying to say something, and I've quoted half of a quote, and you know, maybe gone off on one, and you know that's <laughs> deeply uncool, isn't it? You know, this, this is the stuff that HMP does. <laughs>